I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Dance Squad. Welcome, Vicki. What do you have for us today? Hi, Patty. Well, today I've got a guest, Jose Alvarez, who works in the District Attorney's Office as our Information Technology Manager. Now, he's one of the people I call if I'm having trouble with my computer. So as far as I'm concerned, he's indispensable for our office and certainly for me. And he recently sent out an email warning us about some suspicious email activity, including some phishing scams. And once I read his email, I thought it would be a good idea to share this information with our listeners because if we're getting these phishing scams, I'm sure other people are too. So thank you, Jose, for being here with us today. And for those of us who don't know exactly what phishing is, can you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, So uh, phishing is a lot like fishing as we know it as a sport, right? There's a a lure and there's a a hook, right? And it's the same thing with uh, fishing in the cyber world. We have uh, people who are attempting or, or will, will, will present a bait to you, something along the lines of a prize or uh, money or some sort of refund or some, something of, uh, that you might find attractive. And that's where the fishing comes in. Once you go for the bait, it's the hook that gets you. And that hook can present itself in many different ways, mostly in the form of a virus, mostly in the form of some sort of threat to your maybe your personal information or your private data. Now, Jose, isn't it also true that these crooks who engage in this fishing kind of activity often masquerade as some kind of a legitimate company or organization, for example, um, Internal Revenue Service or maybe even your um, utility company? Yeah, and that's absolutely, that's actually part of the bait that we're talking about, right? They, they, they come off as legitimate um, uh, valued sources in the community. It could be your local uh, bank. It could be um, even a big bank. Uh, so you're right. It does present itself the, in, in, a, in a very kind of hidden way to be able to um, gain your trust so that you can click into the links that they're providing. And Jose, tell us what you saw online that caused you to send out this warning email to those of us in the office. Well, what's interesting is that now these phishing campaigns or phishing emails is what they're at, what they actually are, are becoming a lot more convincing. In the old days, it just looked like you know just a bunch, just a really poorly constructed email, but nowadays new phishing attempts are now grabbing emblems from popular banks grabbing uh, logos from popular companies, and they're now embedding those in the email. And they're also now in the from box or from the sender's box, they're now able to spoof an email address that is not theirs. So it could be something like John Wilkes at wellsfargo.com. And so it gives all the legitimacy of a, of a properly sent email, but in fact, it's just a spoof. And that's part of the phishing campaign. And which one specifically did you see that you were warning us about? This was kind of a timely one. We saw one having to do with tax refunds, and this was happening during tax season. So we know that most people are doing their taxes and doing their, their due diligence with their taxes. You know, imagine that during that time you get an email saying, Dear taxpayer, 
we've re received notification of your tax refund request and we need you to click on this link to be able to complete your tax refund. They're actually very astute in their approach and they're not just wild emails. They're emails that appear to be legitimate, not just in appearance, but in timeliness too. So I was looking at another email that you sent as an example and it had something to do with a fraudulent credit card charge from your company. Can you explain what that one might have been all about? Yeah, so that's just the perfect masquerade, right? So you've got a uh, you've got a, an email purporting to be or acting to be in your best interest, and I mean what I mean that's that's about as convincing as it can get, right? So we're saying, hey, we're here to help you. When all along um, they're not there to help you; they're only there to inflict further pain. Um, I would analogy to that would be to have somebody a, a, a police officer or a uh, a, a uniformed person who's not a police officer come to your house to um, to aid and to find out that there's just there while your back's turned they're stealing from you in your house so that's wow. the part of that disguise there yeah so was this email that was sent was this a ploy to get somebody's credit card information probably one of the biggest reasons is for money I mean it's for financial gain of course, another big one is for sensitive and private data, right? So to be able to get your identity information, to be able to steal your identity, of course, that's another really big reason to do so. It runs the gamut, everything from for financial reasons to identity information to privacy information and, and whatever, you know, they find valuable. And I'm looking at another one that you sent us here, which says, Dear Support, Please See the Attached Invoice microsoft word document and remit payment according to the terms listed at the bottom of the invoice let us know if you have any questions so it looks to me as if they're submitting maybe a fake invoice to a victim hoping that they'll believe that they owe this amount and send it in to the company would that be a correct assessment of this yeah just like all scams all scams present a certain amount of fear in an email and then very quickly produce or offer a remedy to that fear, right? Another good example would be that, you know, you're in collections and your credit will be harmed if you don't respond immediately and take care of this, you know, this. And, and you'll notice that there's always an urgency. There's yeah. always a need to take, to expedite the, the, the payment or expedite, you know, in this case, the fraud. So in those instances, you definitely want to reach out to the company directly if you have any questions. You rarely get official type emails official type of correspondence through email, and it doesn't hurt to pick up the phone and just call that company directly. Yeah. They're always trying to get you to act in a hurry before you have time to think. Exactly, yes. So you also gave us a few tips to avoid these threats, and could you tell us what those are? Yeah, absolutely. It's not enough to tell you to be to watch out for suspicious emails. I mean, we want to go above and beyond that. Right? We, want to, we want to be able to describe what makes up a suspicious email. A suspicious email is not, you know, it's not just, it doesn't say suspicious on there. It's, it's something that, you know, you want to look for. Certain things you want to look for, for example, are if the sender is not consistent with the company name. That's a really big one right there. Look for misspellings in some of the emails. A lot of times these emails attempt to lure in people who are not as observant or detail-oriented because they know that they'll be the best victims for these kinds of things. So look out for those kinds of things. And if at any point you're being asked for money, personal information, passwords, credit card information, 
anything that you hold dear, never give it away. Not an email or and in some cases, if you don't have to even over the phone, because it's not just cyber security or cyber threats. There's also telephone threats and telephone scams. So, you know, and if you're not sure who you're talking to, you can always say, hey, you know what, why don't you give me your name and number and I'll call you right back or I'll call your parent company and uh, on a call that I start versus a call that they've started. Now, what if you get an attachment from someone you don't know or from someone that you're not expect to get an attachment from? What's your advice about that? Yeah, so I would be very suspicious with two things in emails. I would be very suspicious of email attachments and also links, links that you're asked to click on. Because both of those can act as a, as a trigger to have a, the, what we call the payload dropped off in your system, which is the virus, right? So the thing is that, you know, in the old days, we used to say, if you don't recognize a sender, then don't open it. And that remains okay. true today. I didn't Even know your, links could also get you in trouble. I thought it was just the attachment. So this is good information for me, too. The reason why links are dangerous is because links can take you to an infected website. In the old days, it was don't open attachments, but now it's links will take you to infected websites that just by visiting them can reap some damage on your computer. I would say also the other thing used to be if you don't recognize who's sending it, don't open it. But nowadays, even your family members or friends, their computers can be compromised and their address books can be infected and they can be propagating. So if you get an, an attachment from somebody that you're not expecting, say even a friend or family member, just because it's coming from them doesn't mean that it's safe. If you're not expecting the attachment, you may want to reach out to them personally or reply to the email and ask them if they meant to send you that attachment. It seems like a lot to do, but let me just say this. The internet is not really governed or regulated by anybody. So it is, in, in a sense, the old wild, wild west where it's just kind of a wild and savage place. So there really is no rules or no governing of the internet. So you, if that's the case, we have to take a mindset Kind of like we do on the road when we practice defensive driving, we can't assume that others are going to be safe. If instead we change our mindset and say that practice defensive computing, if we take the mental approach that it's a very risky thing and going on the internet and just take very good safeguards, we'll go a long way if you take that mindset. That's wow. very good advice. Oh, it's yeah. been great advice. In fact, I have a couple questions. I often have gotten emails that tell you that it didn't really come from a friend, but it looks like it came from one of your friends. So is that when you should contact them and let them know? Does that mean that they've been hacked or they have a virus or something like that? Is that what you assume if that happens? Absolutely. And you'll know right off the bat. I mean, right. you, you have an ongoing relationship with that person and if something just doesn't seem right. If it doesn't seem right, just put it down and make that phone call or okay. reply to that email mm-hmm. and make that contact. Absolutely. Okay, and then does malware, you know, there's Newton and AVG and all the different companies, does that protect you somewhat? Yes, absolutely. So there's certain things, right? Antivirus and anti-malware, which are absolutely necessary components, do help. Obviously, they present a layer of protection behind the scenes that you would never know is happening. So absolutely. And more than just having them installed, you want to make sure that those antivirus and anti-spyware programs, anti-malware programs are always updated. Because if they're not updated, they can't defend you against the latest threats. So that's a very important step. But there's certain things that antivirus and anti-malware programs cannot protect you from. They cannot protect you always if you're not being careful with your internet activity. Okay. 
just like a seatbelt can protect you from most things, there's certain things that we can do on the road that a seatbelt won't always protect us from. But if we're driving defensively and wearing a seatbelt, chances are we're going to be okay. Good analogy. It's great. So, Patty, do you have other questions? Because I've got one here. Oh, no, I'll turn it over to you. It's just been so very, very educational. And I have never heard anybody describe fishing as well as you have, too. So thank you for that. I think I know. I really get it. Yeah. Here's my question. What if you've already either accidentally or on purpose clicked on one of these links or attachments and then you realize, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that, then what do you do? One of the very first things you want to do is just hold your power button down. Whether it's a laptop or a desktop, if you hold that power button down for more than 15, maybe 30 seconds, you'll notice that the entire computer will shut down. And if that's not working and it's a desktop, you'd probably be better off disconnecting the power cord off the back and turning your computer off that way. And then at that point, you'd want to engage a professional, maybe someone at your local computer repair place, your computer repair business, and let them know what you suspect have them take a closer and deeper look at the situation. And and maybe you have, maybe you haven't been infected, but it's always safer to go get it checked out. It's like that saying, they say an ounce of prevention prevention is better than a pound of cure, right? So uh, we we use that probably that same wisdom in this situation. Well, Jose, I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. This is just very valuable information. You present it so well. It's easy to follow. Absolutely. I learned so much myself. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back again when you've got other tips for us. So thank you very much, Jose. And if you'd like additional information, I was taking a look at the AARP site, www.aarp.org. And if you go there, you can do a search for scams and computer scams. And there's quite a bit of information on that website. And if you subscribe to their mailing, I think they can even send you stuff. So feel free to use that as an additional resource. Very good to know. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. You're very welcome. Take care. Well, Vicki, we learned a lot today, didn't we? We absolutely did. I know. And Vicki, I look forward to talking to you next week. In, in the meantime, if anyone needs to contact you regarding a suspected scam, how would they do that? You can call me at area code 805-568-2442. That's 805-568-2442. And I welcome calls from our listeners because that's how I keep track of what's going on out there. Right, and the more we get the word out, the more we can help each other because sometimes it does seem like they're unstoppable, but the only way we can do that is to help each other. Absolutely. Until next time, Patty. Okay, thanks, Vicki. Bye now. Bye.